Welcome in to another episode of Behind the Plate, a podcast presented by Baseball America. I am your host, Kyle Glazer. We've got another great show for you today. I'm very, very excited for this one. We have our first ex-big leaguer on the show today, Padres Northwest Area Scout Justin Bachman. Justin played for parts of two seasons in the major leagues with the Angels in 1998 and 2000. A lot of the scouts we've had on beforehand were coaches. They played in the minors maybe a little bit. Uh, but Justin's the first big leaguer we've had on. He also spent some time coaching both in the professional and college ranks before joining the Padres scouting department in 2010. Uh, he just wrapped up his 14th draft as a scout. He assigned three big leaguers, Rocky Gale, Eric Yardley, and most recently Alec Jacob, who made his major league debut a few weeks ago for the Padres in the bullpen. Justin was kind enough to join us today to discuss his playing career, everything he learned from his time in the major leagues, as well as his rise through the minors, uh, his experience coaching, uh, first as a hitting coach, the Angels minor league system, and then as a college coach at his alma mater, Lewis and Clark College in Oregon, and his time as a scout, all the lessons he's learned, uh, all the players he's drafted, and what he looks for in players now as his scouting eye has grown and developed over the years, as well as talk about Alec Jacob and what he saw there and why Alec has surprised even him. And with that, we are pleased to be joined now by Justin from his hotel room in Surprise, Arizona. Justin, thank you for joining us today. Yeah, my pleasure. So I have to say this uh, a somewhat historic episode of Behind the Plate. You are our first ex-major leaguer to be on the show with us. Uh, most of the scouts we've talked to beforehand played the minors a lot of them were coaches you were a coach as well we'll get into that but uh, our first ex-big leader here you spent parts of two seasons with the angels 1998 and 2000 i have to ask one of the things i've noticed in the scouting community is whenever there's a scout in the stands who had big league time there's a little bit of like extra deference paid to them by the, the scouts sitting around them do you ever feel that a little bit when you're out there no <laughs> <laughs> um you know people make reference to it and it is flattering but uh I mean, especially after doing it for so long and knowing these guys for so long. Um, I mean, I, I think nobody thinks anybody is better equipped at this than anybody else. So, but uh, it's nice when people bring it up sometimes. Yeah. So like I said, I, I have to embarrass you a little bit. I remember being nine years old, sitting in the stands of what was then Edison International Field, watching young rookie second baseman Justin Bachman take the field for the Angels. And, uh, you know, you were surrounded by some some really, really talented players. That was kind of in the lead-up to the Angels winning the 2002 World Series. I mean, you look at the lineups you were in. It was Jim Edmonds. It was Tim Salmon. It was Darren Erstad. It was Garrett Anderson. It was guys who went on to appear in multiple All-Star games. Salmon accepted one of the best players to ever make an All-Star game. Chuck Finley, you know, at the time uh, was one of the all-time strikeout leaders. Trey Percival, one of the best closers in the game at the time. You know, what was it like for you as a young rookie coming up and joining a team just surrounded by so many good players who eventually would form the core of a championship caliber team? Yeah, it was pretty exciting. You know, you uh, don't forget Cecil Fielder was on that team and, and he That's was right. already established. It was towards the end of his career. But, uh, you know, I remember walking into the, the visiting clubhouse in Detroit where I made my major league debut and my locker was in between Tim Salmon and Cecil Fielder. And it was just kind of a moment of, whoa, you know, this, is, this is real. Um, and, uh, you know, I mean, it was great to watch those guys. However, I mean, I will say those guys were so talented, um, that there wasn't really anybody to relate to that was struggling or, you know, just coming up, um, you know, those guys were just so talented and, and, and I wasn't, <laughs> um, and, uh, it was, it was pretty cool. 
Yeah, not only that, your first big league game you mentioned was in Detroit, Old Tiger Stadium. Your first major league game, you get your first big league hit. Again, you talk about that wow moment of walking in, seeing your nameplate between Tim Salmon and Cecil Fielder, then going out, getting your first big league hit. In the moment, you're just trying to compete. But, I mean, once you got on first base, what was that emotion like? My first hit was a, was a suicide squeeze attempt mm. against Justin Thompson. Um, but, yeah, you know. Uh, suicide squeeze speed was my game on first base. I do remember coming up to bat and it kind of looked like the pitcher was shaking because I was shaking because I was so nervous. Um, it, it was nerve wracking, but after the, after the first couple of at bats, then it just becomes, you know, it, it becomes like what you did in the minor leagues. Um, but getting the first hit was a relief. Um, you know, there's probably other big leaguers who had more confidence than I did. So, uh, you know, I needed I needed those hits to kind of boost me. Yeah, I mean, suicide squeeze. I have to ask, you get that sign for suicide squeeze. Jim Edmonds is coming flying down the line at third base. You mentioned it's nerve wracking enough as is. But when you got that sign, was it even a little more nerve wracking? You know, you got to get this down. <sighs> I, I think I remember feeling a little bit more relief. <laughs> uh, it was an opportunity for me to get the run in without having to get a hit. I knew I could get a bunt down. Um, I wasn't sure I could get a hit. So thankfully, I did both. <laughs> Absolutely. You talk about your game a little bit and, and some of your abilities. You had kind of a unique career coming up. You went to Lewis and Clark College in Oregon, uh, not to be confused with Lewis Clark State, the NAIA power in Idaho, a small school. You retired as the school's all-time stolen base leader, hit 370. Um, that was your game, that, that speed and contact middle infielder. You know, coming from a small school, fifth round pick, kind of having to grind your way up the minors. What was your experience like coming up? Because again, it's not like you know, you're taking the same draft as Darren Erstad, but Darren Erstad was number one overall pick, million dollar plus signing bonus coming out of Nebraska. It, it's two very different kind of career paths. Yeah, people don't realize the difference between the levels of, of college baseball. You know, I will I will say that the, the difference between NAIA at the time and Division one, NAIA at my level, you know, at the school that I went to. And the conference that I played in and Division One, the difference is night and day. The difference between, you know, college Division One baseball and the minor leagues, especially the upper minor leagues, is night and day. And the difference between the minor leagues and the major leagues is night and day. So I had such a gap to fill. Um, I do remember showing up to Arizona after I signed and getting out on the field and realizing quickly I was far behind these other college players. And, uh, you know, my first year in, in Boise, Idaho, it, that showed. Um, thankfully, I was athletic enough to get better pretty quickly. And uh, my career accelerated from there. And thankfully, I had a unique skill, which was running. And, and uh, you know, at the time, that was an important part of the game. I'm not sure how important it is today. But at the time, uh, you know, if, if you could run like I could, you had a place in the major leagues. And I just had to get incrementally better at some of the other skills. And I did. Um, but, uh, yeah, Darren... Darren was, uh, I mean, the number one overall pick, and he was prepared. He knew how to hit. Uh, I'm, he had to get better, for sure. Um, but he was just so much closer to that level than I was when we were drafted. You mentioned that that really, really rough first year in Boise, Idaho. He hit 233, sub-300 on-base percentage, sub-300 slugging percentage. How did you kind of go through the, the mental fortitude there? Because a lot of times, you know, you mentioned guys – get up, they struggle, and you know, they feel like you did, which is these guys are just so far ahead of me. And they, 
they kind of fold a little bit or they lose their confidence and it just, you know, kind of hits them and they go, oh, maybe I'm not cut out for this. How did you kind of bounce back from that, especially given your background, your limitations? Because I feel like a, a lot of players could have very easily just been like, you know what, I, I love the game. I love to compete, but these guys are just on a completely different level than I am. We, we do see that happen sometimes. Yeah, it was really difficult and it didn't have it didn't stop after that first year. You know, I struggled my second year and I struggled even my third year, the year I got, uh, before I got put on the 40 man. Um, there were periods of my career where there was a lot of self-doubt. Can I do this? I mean, I was obviously not as good as some of the other players um, at the time. Um, and I and I I talked to players that I scout now and I talked to them about signing out of high school or signing out of college. And I, if I had signed out of high school, I think I would have quit. Um, you know, I went to college and I matured a little bit. And so there was a little bit of that, uh, the ability to kind of persist and push through some of the hard things you learn at the college level. And, um, but it was really difficult. And I think most players go through it. And uh, now in today's game, there's so much to work on and there's so much help and there's hitting labs and pitching labs and, and, and they have, you know, people to help you with your diet and your nutrition. There's so much to work on and there's so much to distract you from your failure. Uh, there's other things that you can succeed at. You can see succeed in the weight room. Um, you can succeed at, at, at the nutrition part of it, you know, because there are coaches for everything. So there are places in today's game where you can get support and you can get, uh, positive feedback that you couldn't when I played. Um, but it it is still difficult. It's still really hard for some of these kids to, to persist. And some guys quit. Uh, I, there's no secret to it. You just got to push. You just got to push. You mentioned the high school decision. You were a 42nd round pick by the Cubs out of high school. That round does not exist anymore, as we all know. Did you ever give any serious consideration to signing out of high school? No, part of it was, you know, without social media, without um, without kind of the uh, the magnitude of the draft for some of these players uh, back then. I didn't know anything about professional baseball. I, I spoke to one scout as a high school player uh, and then a second one called me the morning of the draft. I had no idea what professional baseball was all about. I mean, it was kind of cool to hear from them, but it wasn't real. Um, the Cubs drafted me. I had never spoken to a Cubs scout. I had no idea who that guy was. Um, he called my mom after I was drafted and my mom kind of laughed at him and said, no, he's going to school. And so he came over and put a piece of paper in front of me that said, sign here that we offered you a contract and you declined it. So I did. And he left. There was zero, there was zero uh, education uh, about professional baseball and, and on my part, zero thought of playing it out of high school. Thank how you. much does that how much does that change in college? Because again, you're at Lewis and Clark College, not a major program. When did you first start seeing scouts really give more attention to you? And and when did you fully start to grasp, okay, this is something that is a real professional career path I can take? Yeah, you know, the dream was always there. I always wanted to play professional baseball, but but it wasn't until um, it was after my sophomore year and I played summer ball in Tacoma, Washington. Um, and I had a great summer. I had a really great summer. And uh, I, one of our players, I think maybe had an uncle who was a scout who kind of talked to me. But because of my numbers in the summer league, 
in the Northwest, a few scouts started to show up at our games the next spring. Um, and uh, it was at that point when I'm, when I'm getting calls from, you know, instead of just one or two scouts, now I'm getting calls from five or 10 scouts uh, that it kind of became real. And the scout that drafted me, Jack Yui with the Angels, um, he, I mean, he would take me to lunch and he would call me all the time. I mean, he really started to really get to know me. And it was then that it was like, oh, okay, this is going to happen at some point. It's interesting. You mentioned that relationship with Jack Yui and how he treated you. And we'll talk about this more once we get into the scouting portion of your career. But how much, in retrospect, do you take the example he set with you and apply that forward to how you operate as a scout? Um, you know, it was important for me that Jack got to know me. Now, he didn't, I mean, it could have been somebody else that drafted me and everything I think would have been okay. Um, Jack was a unique person. Um, I think I'm unique in the way that I do things. Um, my personality, I think, dictates more of my scouting than, than the relationship that I had with Jack. Um, although I recognize how important it was for me. Uh, and there are times in my scouting career that I do recognize that, that somebody may need a little bit more support um, and more of my attention than somebody else. Um, it happens every now and then, but um, scouting such a unique thing. Everybody does it a little differently. Uh, and I could never do what Jack did. Jack was a unique person and makes everybody feel like they are the center of, of the conversation. And, uh, and, and I'm not that person. Uh, but I really, man, without him, I, I think uh, my first couple of years might have been a little different. Absolutely. As you mentioned, you know, you struggled a little bit early on, pushed through, got to the big leagues, played parts of two seasons. Again, it was, it was a limited stint in the major leagues. I think obviously everyone hopes to stay there for 10 to 15 years, but getting there in any sense is, is remarkable, uh, as has been talked about a lot. Less than 25,000 players ever have played in the major leagues. It would fill up less than half of uh, Cleveland's progressive field if you put every player that ever played in the big leagues there. So it's it's a really exclusive club. When you look back on your big league career, I guess first and foremost, what would you say is, is the number one highlight for you when you look back and say that was the coolest part of my career? Um, I think it was it's more of a general thing, but being a part of that Angels club that won something like 22 games in the month of June. Um, I remember when we started that streak, like it was June 1st in, in Minnesota, and I was I was a part of a of a um, top of the ninth or top of the 10th uh, rally that uh, we came back and, and we won. I led the inning off with a triple. And, and next thing you know, we were winning and winning and winning and just being a part of that um, and being con a contributor in that uh, was, it was pretty cool. It's not, at that point, it's not, you just didn't just get there. You contributed to a team that had a chance to win a World Series, I and mean, we were good. It was a good team, and I was a part of it. Absolutely. And then the other question I want to ask, and it's something that I think probably wouldn't have been appreciated at the time, but maybe you can appreciate now. How did your experience in the big leagues inform what you do as a scout? Because you know more than most others just how difficult it is to get there and just what it takes to stay there. 
Yeah, it, it, it plays a huge role. Um, and, and most of it is the makeup part of it, The when I get to know the players. Um, when I look back at my major league career, I see deficiencies. I see why I didn't make it. Um, I can see that I didn't know how to work. I, did, I can see all the things that it takes that I didn't do. Uh, a lot of it has to do with me as a person and me as just as a competitor um, and that innate confidence. And so I look for people who aren't like me often. My talent got me to the big leagues. My athleticism got me to the big leagues. It was my lack of, of really belief in myself that kept me from staying there. Uh, and so I can, I, I can see talent from a mile away. It's harder to recognize that grit that it takes, that, that innate confidence in yourself that is going to make you a longtime big leaguer. I will say, give yourself a little credit. You know, getting to the big leagues in any capacity is pretty impressive. And you got up there, you, you hit a big league home run, you had a, a good number of big league hits, and uh, you certainly had the kind of career a lot of people would kill for. So I will say, give, give yourself a little credit. Thank you. <laughs> I appreciate that. So play with the Angels in 98, a little bit in 2000, uh, finish out your career in the minor leagues. You come to the crossroads that a lot of players struggle with. What do I do next? You eventually went into coaching and scouting, but there was a little bit of an interim period there. How did you kind of find your path to what you were going to do after your playing career? Where did you go after you wrapped up that final AAA season? Um, I went home and raised my newborn daughter for about six months. And that was kind of the impetus of not pursuing baseball anymore. You know, when I got released out of spring training by the, the Rays in 2003, my daughter was born a week later. And, you know, I... I had an opportunity to continue playing uh, minor league baseball um, and I chose not to for lots of reasons that, <laughs> um, and then I just went, I just went looking for a job, but you know, without any experience over the past decade after college, um, it was difficult. We were in a recession, uh, you know, didn't make any money. I mean, it was difficult. It was really hard. Um, and so I went back to Jack Huey, the scout who drafted me, and I said, I need, I need help. And, and he got me a coaching job with the Angels, even though I didn't really want to coach. And, uh, you know, but I needed to do something. Um, and I coached for a couple of years professionally, and then I went back to Lewis and Clark and coached. I was the head coach there for four years. But coaching is a passion that I did not have. Um, and so I went back to Jack Huey. <laughs> <laughs> and said, I need out of coaching. And, and uh, you know, he just kind of kept his ears out. And next thing I know, I'm getting, uh, uh, you know, calls from other scouts um, saying there's openings here and there. And uh, I mean, at some point, baseball was all I knew. I, I knew I had to stay in baseball and I wanted to stay in baseball, but, but uh, I needed a new path besides coaching. And uh, at the time, being an ex-player and an ex-coach was uh, was an asset. Um, and being in the Northwest where there weren't a lot of ex players, uh, to fill scouting roles. Um, I think that I was an ideal candidate and it, you know, it just kind of worked out. Yeah. You mentioned you didn't love coaching first and foremost, what levels and roles did you fill, uh, when you were coaching the angel system? Uh, I was a hitting coach at Cedar Rapids, Iowa, which was low a, um, and I had played in Cedar Rapids for a season. Um, 
uh, yeah, I was a hitting coach and which is ironic because I wasn't a good hitter in, in pro ball, um, you know, but I, I do think that that helped me a little bit. Uh, I think my best hitting coaches were not the best hitters and my worst hitting coaches were the best hitters. Um, because sometimes the best coaches or the best players don't really understand why they're so good. And it's a lot of it is innate talent and you can't teach that. Um, so I had to learn a lot about hitting. And uh, so I do think that I helped some people uh, along the way, but two years as a hitting coach, I didn't love it. And, uh, and then four years as a head coach in the college ranks. And um, that was just a difficult situation because of the level, the lack of, you know, uh, facilities, there was no scholarships, it was uh, high academic, so it was difficult to get guys in the school. There was just so many uh, challenges to that. And if you don't really have a passion for coaching, those challenges kind of uh, take over every other emotion that you have, uh, you know, in your job. So. Yeah, yeah, you mentioned you didn't really enjoy your time coaching. At the same time, I would imagine some very, very valuable lessons were learned because now you, you had the player vantage point, now you have the coaching vantage point. What were some of maybe the biggest lessons you learned as a coach, both at the professional level and the college level, that helped just kind of build your, your knowledge base of the game and talent evaluation? Yeah, the coaching uh, part of it in pro ball was probably a, a, a much, it's a much bigger resource for me now. Uh, one, I can, I can remember these players and the struggles that they had uh, to add that to my, you know, database of players besides just myself and my experience. Now I'm now I'm experiencing it with with other minor league players who are struggling or having success. Um, but I think a lot of it is also I was in the room when we discuss players and talk about where they're going to go, you know, what roster they're going to be on, if we're going to release this player, if we're going to keep this player. And it's a reminder that despite all the analytics, despite all the numbers, despite anybody's talent, there's human beings in the room making decisions about your career. And if you don't have sponsors in the room, if people don't like you, if you, people don't think you're a hard worker, then they are not going to give you the benefit of the doubt. They're not going to give you an extra year if you're on that cusp. Um, there's a big human element to baseball that we forget about uh, because of how much the, the numbers and the analytics have kind of infiltrated the game. So you mentioned you go through your coaching experiences, get an opportunity to join up with the Padres as a Northwest area scout. You mentioned talking to Jack Yui. He was able to put you in touch with a lot of teams, a lot of scouts. How did the Padres job come about specifically? So um, let's see, the first year, the, the first, it didn't happen for a year, but the, at first I talked to Jack. Uh, Jack was talking to other scouts. Uh, the Bureau scout, Carl Moshi, who's now the Red Sox scout in the Northwest, um, he knew there was a Red Sox opening at the time. And Jason McLeod was doing the hiring and put me in touch with Jason. Jason called me and said, I got your number and information from Carl. Uh, you're a great candidate, but we just made the hire. Uh, if something comes up in the future, I'll let you know. The next year, Jason got hired by the Padres. There was a Northwest opening and he remembered me and called me and said, we have an opening with San Diego. Are you interested? How quickly did you say yes? Because you, you were still a college coach at the time, but but you resigned ultimately to take the Padres job. Yeah, uh, it, it, it was something I knew that I wanted to do because of the change, not necessarily because of the job of scouting. My image of scouting was going to 
some high school field with, you know, terrible players and sitting through a bad high school game. That was my idea of, of scouting. Um, you know, but after a discussion with my wife and, you know, knowing that there was going to be more travel, but also knowing that it was going to make me a lot happier, it was a pretty easy decision. So I had to go through an interview. Um, uh, but I knew that if they offered me the job, I was going to take it. Yeah, you ultimately did. And, and you mentioned you kind of had a view of scouting in your mind as, as certainly not the most glamorous lifestyle. And to be clear, it definitely isn't. But you've now been doing this for uh, 13 years. Uh, you started in 2010. Uh, so 14 yeah. drafts, 13 years. So clearly something grabbed you about it. What did you eventually learn about the profession that made you feel like, you know what, this is something I, I like and I can stay in? Well, number one, it wasn't just going to high school games and watching bad high school baseball. I mean, that was the, you know, I, it's such an abstract thing. My, my biggest burning question when I got hired was how do I know where to go? How do I know which players to go see? And no scout could give me an answer. It was more, you just kind of, it, it'll become clear, you know, it was very abstract and, and, and it did, it just became clear. Um, and scouts ask me now, new scouts will ask me, how do I know where to go? And I give them the same answer. Don't worry about it. You'll figure it out. Um, I like traveling. I like going to new places. Um, I like watching good baseball players. I, I like, uh, there is some, um, I don't know. There's a mystique about being part of a major league organization that even though I'm not really, involved in the decision making, I'm still a part of the organization and I still get to turn on TV and say, that's the club that I work for. And uh, there's still that hope of you get to, you know, win a World Series. Um, but the lifestyle just kind of fits me. Uh, and in the Northwest, um, you know, you get to recharge your batteries in the winter because there's no baseball. Um, so it's not a 12 month out of the year thing for me, although it's supposed to be, I think. Um, <laughs> You know, you go through your season and you work hard, but then I get to recharge and I do get to spend time with my family. And there's some uh, autonomous, uh, there's an autonomous element to it where I get to make my own schedule. So it just kind of fits. Absolutely. I want to go back to something you said that you look for players who are not like you guys who, you know, don't fit the same profile you did, but you signed three big leaguers, Rocky Gale, Eric Yardley, Alec Jacob, all of them were low round draft picks from the case of Yarley, not drafted at all from smaller mid-major schools, D1 schools, but that's smaller mid-major schools. That very first year that you're a scout, Padres draft Rocky Gale, 24th round out of the University of Portland. What did you like about Rocky? Because I think on the surface, it almost seems like he would be similar to you, low round pick, um, mid-major, but but was you know someone you drafted your very first year and ultimately became your first big leaguer. Yeah, he, that was an interesting story. I, I didn't love Rocky as a player because uh, at first um, I'm a new scout. I don't really know what I'm looking for. I didn't recognize the value of catchers then. Um, Rocky was a senior. He had did not have a good track record of hitting, but he was always a good defensive catcher. And I didn't recognize that value to an organization. So actually, it was my cross checker, Pete DeYoung, who's now the Padres pro director. Uh, he was at a game with me at University of Portland and Rocky had a good day and he just kind of looked at me and he said, you should turn that guy in. Um, and what I, what I learned later from Pete and from, you know, now years of experience is that it, uh, catching is such 
an important part of the game and there's not very many catchers, but you need a lot of them that when you find a catcher who is really good defensively, uh, that's somebody that you should target. The only reason why he was late around draft pick is because he wasn't a very good hitter at the time. You know, uh, we, we didn't evaluate him as a very good hitter. Um, so I was kind of told to turn Rocky in, uh, and, but looking back on it, I now realize that value and Rocky was a huge part of the Padres organization for a lot of years. Um, could run a staff. I mean, he could really catch. Uh, he, he really knew what he was doing behind the plate. Um, and so that was, it was, you know, small school, that kind of thing. I didn't intentionally go after that. Uh, I didn't know that that was valuable and I had to be told. Um, Eric Yardley, a side armor, didn't throw very hard. Wasn't really in love with that guy either. Again, Pete DeYoung, little research, has the highest ground ball rate in the nation in Division One baseball. I mean, that's a that's an innate ability. Can't teach that. Uh, he had sink and he could get ground balls, and that was really valuable. And so, the more we talked through it, the more. I understand that he could be, uh, without even getting much better, as long as he threw strikes, he could have a long career and be a valuable part of the organization. And he did. And and he, what I also didn't know was, and we talked about this, that competitiveness, that belief in himself, he had that. Um, he didn't throw as hard as everybody else, but he had that. Um, yeah. It's interesting because I think a lot of times scouting – it's very easy to get caught up in the big tools, the guys with beautiful physical frames that you see projecting and could become monsters. And you kind of look at the, the entire package as you should, but there's also times to look for individual traits. You mentioned Rocky Gale had all these things you didn't like, but he did one thing really, really well. Eric Yardley, again, side armor, didn't throw very hard from Seattle University, but he could get ground balls. How often do you find yourself now looking for an individual trait that could be you know, kind of a carrying tool if you will it's not a tool in the traditional sense but that that carrying asset as opposed to maybe oh i'm hunting you know the big guy who can do it all uh quite a bit uh now uh there are certain things that i'm looking for you know ground ball rate is one um you know i think we all do this now but you know fastball swing and miss um you know you can throw 98 or 88 but the ultimate goal is to make them miss it <laughs> You know, so, uh, you know, especially if you're left-handed, if I, I, sometimes I will ignore the velocity or ignore the secondary. Uh, and if they're getting an extraordinary amount of fastball swing and miss, I'm interested. doesn't matter how hard they throw. It doesn't matter how big they are. Um, that's something that you can't teach. There's something about the way they do it. That's hard to see. Um, so I am looking for all those things and I'm not necessarily looking for one thing. Uh, but I'm looking for something that stands out that's different. Uh, and, and I think I think most scouts do that now. Um, but I but I am doing it quite a bit. Yeah, and, and that leads us into your most recent big leaguer, Alec Jacob. He was a 16th round pick in 2021 out of Gonzaga. And Alec kind of fits the mold a little bit of, of an Eric Yardley. Uh, unique delivery, kind of side armor, does not throw very hard, mid-80s. 
But he had a really, really successful career at Gonzaga, which, while it's a mid-major program, has produced a good number of big leaguers, big league, or I should say a good number of draft prospects, pitchers especially recently. Uh, was the West Coast Conference Pitcher of the Year, you know, competed well in, in a solid mid-major conference and made his major league debut this year. How much did you find yourself relying on some of those lessons you learned, particularly from Yardley, where, hey, again, the guy doesn't throw very hard, but it's a funky delivery, and, and it works for him. Yeah, uh, Eric, uh, sorry, um, Alec was a unique case. Uh, he's one of those guys who, no matter what the numbers say, no matter how many awards he wins, you look at him and you're like, I'm not sure this is, I mean, in college, it was, he was more like 84. Um, and it is a mid-major and, and he's, he was right there in front of all of us scouts for four years doing this. At some point, uh, (laughs) you just have to say, okay, the guy's really good. I don't know why he's really good, but he's really good. And he deserves a shot at pro ball. Now, what did it for me? Because I, I watched him pitch a lot and never, I just kept ignoring it. Like, I just don't think it'll work. But I saw him uh, in Eugene, Oregon at the regional in 2021 or whatever it was we drafted drafted him and he faced LSU the opening game and he made the entire LSU roster look like children. He dominated in a complete game, nine innings shutout. I think he gave up two hits. It, I mean, they couldn't touch him. And now all of a sudden this mid-major guy is dominating an SEC team, um, a storied SEC team. Um, and it was that slap in the face moment of, what are you doing? Why are you trying to overthink this? Just get him in. Um, and I did. I turned him in and I got to the draft room and the analytics guy in the room came up to me and said, I'm so glad you turned Alec in. His pitch characteristics are this. Um, so I didn't know that. Uh, it was just, you just had to give, give credit to the pitcher that he was, despite a lack of tools. He's just really good. And he also had that competitive nature that he knew that he could beat anybody. Uh, And I think that that helped his tools play up and it's what's helped him get through the system quickly. And it's what helped what's helped him so far in in his brief major league uh, time have a lot of success. He just believes in himself. Yeah, I mean, you talk about, you know, kind of the success he always had. You go back to his final year at Gonzaga, threw a no-hitter against Pepperdine, uh, struck out 112 batters, um, most on the team, eighth most in a single season in program history. And that was on a staff with some guys who eventually became, you know, pretty high draft picks, you know, Gabriel Hughes, William Kepner. Like, he he was surrounded by some some good players, and he was a little older than them, but but really the the best guy on that staff by any measure. And it's interesting you mentioned that success, you know, and how he just always had it. And that that game against LSU really, really drove it home. I first kind of got his name as he was moving his way up the minors, you know, doing the pottery system here for us. And it's funny. I saw him briefly in Lake Elsinore uh, for like an inning. And again, didn't didn't register a whole lot um, because for the reasons you said, I believe he was like 85 to 87 that day side armor. It's hard to bite on a, a college guy who's a reliever in low A throwing 85 to 87. But I noticed the next year, like you said, he just keeps climbing, goes up. He starts in Fort Wayne, goes to San Antonio, gets up to El Paso. And you look now back his minor league career, 
he had a 1.82 ERA in the minors, 138 strikeouts, 25 walks, and 104 innings. And it, like you said, it's one of the things where you don't know how he does it, but at a certain point, he's doing it, and you have to acknowledge that. Yeah, you have to acknowledge these guys who have an extraordinary amount of success, and you just you don't know why. I mean, you can kind of extrapolate why, but you look at him, you're like, eh, he's okay, but he's he ends up being better than everybody else you're seeing. You know, like I said, it, I probably was overthinking it. You know, you just got to stop overthinking it. Uh, we talked a little bit about this early on in the in the show that. Uh, you know, Darren Erstad was so much closer to, to the big leagues than I was when we were drafted. Um, Alec Jacob hasn't really had to change the way he does it. He has an innate ability to deceive hitters, get ground balls, and miss bats with a mix of pitches around the zone, uh, and you don't have to meddle with it. He's good because he's good. And... Uh, you know, he's he's one of those rare guys, and that's why he was able to move through the system so quickly. Yeah, absolutely. You mentioned not really biting on him until that, that start against LSU. Were you even surprised how quickly he moved through the system again, especially given the reservations about how this stuff would play against pro hitters? Yeah, I, I really – well, I wasn't surprised, but I always have my doubts about guys who do really well in the minor leagues um, who don't have the stuff that you can see – that tells you that they're also going to be good at the major leagues guys like Alec guys, smaller guys like me, um, they have to prove it at every level. They're not going to hang around because of a big tool. They're going to hang around because every time they go out, they perform. And how do you release a guy who's performing all the time? Uh, so I always think, you know, after his first year, it's like, man, he did really great his first year, but I wonder how he's going to do it. High A. And then, man, he really did great. I, but double A is a different animal. You know, I wonder how that's going to play at double A. And then he did really great. And actually, last year, he got called up to triple A and did not do well. Right. Um, and, and was sent back down. And so there was, I really did have questions. Is that it? Is that his ceiling? Is double A his ceiling? Um, and he got off to kind of a rougher start this year and then figured, you know, got back into a rhythm. Um and I still wonder, you know, is a month in the big leagues his ceiling? Are they going to figure him out? Uh, because there's nothing other than his ju- he's just really good that tells me that he's going to have sustained major league success. And he's going to prove me wrong. I know he's going to prove me wrong. Um, I mean, major leaguers have big stuff. They have big stuff. It's a rare pitcher. It's... Uh, that doesn't have big stuff that is a long-term sustainable, uh, you know, major league pitcher without big stuff. He's got an uphill, you know, road to, to go. And I hope he does it. I'm rooting for him. I'm his biggest supporter, but you know, the reason why he's doing it is because he believes in himself. <laughs> yeah. For those who haven't had a chance to see Alec Jacob yet this year, uh, it's been limited innings. Uh, he's, he's, sitting 85 86 on his fastball it's sliders you know 73 miles an hour it's got got a change up in the seven low 70s as well it's never been big stuff but um this kind of sidearm delivery it just it just works for him i do have to ask you mentioned that there's kind of these doubts along the way he gets called up for his big league debut july 15th in philadelphia 
Uh, were you watching that game by chance? I watched um, – was that when he pitched or was that when he got called up? Uh, that was his first – that was his debut. That was when he got – when he out okay. his, his first appearance. Yeah, so he, he got called up before the All-Star break and then didn't pitch for three games. And then the All-Star break happened. And so three three more days go by. And I, I don't remember if it was the first game after the All-Star break or the second game. But, yeah, I mean, I was I – was, watching every game at least on my phone to see if he was going to come in um and then that that game i was not watching um i kind of gave up <laughs> uh or i was really busy but i got some texts you know hey congratulations you know he got in today did well whatever so i i was able to go back to mlb tv and, and watch the game so i've seen both of his outings just not live you have to ask that that major league debut comes in. Bryce Harper's standing on second base after a double, steals third base. It was his big league debut. He's got a runner on third base, two outs in the inning. Comes in, strikes out Alec Baum, strikes out the first hitter he faces with a runner in scoring position to get out of a jam. Uh, when you saw that, that's what he did. You know, was what was your reaction? Relief. Uh, <laughs> I, you know, I mean, you always want these guys to do well. Like, you know, when they get that opportunity, the guys you draft, you just want them to do so well. And uh, it doesn't matter how good they are, you know, if they're the best prospect in the world or the worst prospect in the world, you know, when they get to the major leagues, it's different. And so you just cross your fingers. Um, but it, was, it wasn't just relief for me. Like I could, I would, I, I can imagine to step on that mound and have your first outing, one hitter, one strikeout must also have been a big boost to his confidence and relief a little bit to I did it I can do this uh and and to have that be your first outing uh I think is probably going to be a pretty valuable stepping stone for him going forward yeah absolutely yes he started off his career with three consecutive scoreless outings uh, unfortunately uh, recently suffered a, a flexor strain and a UCL strain and will be out for a few weeks looks like he'll avoid surgery so that's always good but it's been a good early start and, and you know it's funny i just go back to it's funny enough in a way that you talked about looking for players who weren't like you and yet your three big leaguers are players who in some way were like you unconventional you know smaller schools not a lot of hype lower round guys and again in yardley's case wasn't drafted at all and yet they made it yeah and i will say that they none of those guys was like me in terms of their mental makeup they were more confident and so when I look for guys who aren't like me, I'm, I'm, I'm really talking about uh, their makeup. I'm really talking about their mentality at the plate, their mentality just in general, um, you know, their passion, their drive, those kinds of things that if I were to do it all over again, I would have a different mindset. And I want these guys to have that mindset going in. It just makes their transition a lot easier. Um, you know, guys like me physically, I mean, I'm 5'10", I'm 170 pounds. Um, I didn't have a lot of power. Uh, you know, those guys aren't, they're not abundant in the major leagues. <laughs> so uh, I think I would, I would not be doing my career a service if I were to find guys that were 5'10", 170 pounds without any power. Um, <laughs> you know, so physically, guys that look like me, I'm not really interested in unless they do something that excite me mentally. If, 
if I don't see that 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 drive that they have right now, that passion right now, then I'm I'm a little leery of those guys too. Uh, it's hard. It's hard to make it. Yeah, makeup matters, and and you know that better than most, having gotten to the big leagues and, and had some time up there and, and seeing what it takes. Justin, this was awesome. Thank you so, so much for joining us today and providing your insight and your experiences. Uh, we really, really appreciate it. It's my pleasure. Thanks for having me on. Once again, that was Padres Northwest Area Scout, Justin Bachman. Again, really cool stuff. Just talking about his big league career, that moment of getting his first big league hit, especially being a suicide squeeze. Uh, talk about what would be a nerve-wracking moment for most, but uh, I enjoyed him saying it actually calmed him down a little because he was more confident he could get a bunt down than get an actual hit. Uh, he did get his first uh, non-bunt hit the very next at-bat, a uh, single off longtime big left-hander Jeff Vicero. So clearly he was able to do that as well. Uh, but just everything you talked about there, makeup and you know, how important it is. Obviously, makeup could be a little bit nebulous, a little bit subjective. But at the end of the day, you have to have the mental fortitude to grind through the minor leagues. You have to have the confidence in yourself and your abilities. You have to have the work ethic to put in the work you need to get better, to get stronger, physically, mentally, all of it. And only a rare select few have it. Um, again, I think a lot of times people overlook makeup, especially in, in today's data-driven world, but it makes a difference and really can help separate the good from the great. Uh, we really appreciate Justin sharing his insights there, as well as his humility, talking about he, he missed on a couple of these guys that he ended up being the signing scout for, but he was able to learn from that and apply it forward. And as a result now, again, the Padres have a, a pretty good relief prospect in Alec Jacob, who uh, looks to be a part of their franchise in the present, as well as the future. Once again, this has been another episode of Behind the Plate presented by Baseball America. Go ahead and give us a review on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, whatever platform you're listening on. We'd love to hear from you. For Justin Bachman, I'm Kyle Glazer. Thank you for listening. Have a good one, everybody.